Pontifax is part of the Agora Podcast Network. As America prepares its presidential election on November the 3rd, we look at the life of a president who 40 years ago was called a dangerous extremist, who wanted to put nuclear weapons in space and who proposed large tax and spending cuts hoping to destroy the power of Washington. Go and get a uniform report of the scrubs. Why? Because I think you'd make a football player. I doubt Try it. Try it anyway. All right, if you insist. Now, wait a minute. What's your name? Kip. George Kip. Raised in the small towns of Illinois, he was the actor who changed America, helped bring down the Berlin Wall, and became a lion of the right. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Listen to part one of Ronald Reagan, from Illinois to California on 10 American Presidents, from Royfield Brown and the author of Reagan, American icon Ewan Morgan. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, a cast and wherever else you get your podcasts. Welcome to Pontifax. I'm Fry. And I'm Brie, ranking all of the popes from Peter to Francis. And this is episode 89, Pope Sicinius. Sicinius. There's a lot of repeating letters in that. It's all just I's and S's and N's. That's a whole new name. Yeah, it is a whole new name. That's why it doesn't have a number after. Nobody else wanted it. No, he is our only Pope Sicinius. It is kind of fun to say, I have to say. Pope Sicinius was born in Syria around 650-ish, and his father's name was John, and he had a brother called Constantine. And historian Jeffrey Richards posits that, given Sicinius will make very small personal donations to the church in his time as pope, that it probably means his family wasn't elite or aristocratic. Apparently, 42 pounds of gold and 310 pounds of silver was way below what most popes contribute at the time. That seems like a lot. It seems like a whole heck of a lot. I would certainly enjoy 42 pounds of gold. But apparently, 42 pounds of gold and 310 pounds of silver was not enough to to look like an aristocratic family just not exciting Mm, it's just sort of a paltry peasant donation if you will (laughs) i know also we can assume that given that he was born in syria in the midst of the rise of the rashidun caliphate that his family came to rome under similar circumstances to many of the popes that we've talked about recently And on that note, because of how often it has been the case recently, essentially since Pope Theodore, episode 75, I want to briefly consider what it actually means for Rome and the clergy. We've already seen some great divides over who to elect to be the next pope, and some of that tension has come from the cultural divide between the Roman-born Western population and the influx of those from the East. The Carenas, as we... The Carenas, yeah. And though so far this hasn't led to, like, a full division or full problem, everything so far has been fairly surmountable. And we don't look at this as, like, a value judgment. 
but it is, it's still a massive factor to consider as a significant dynamic in the Roman church at this time, especially when we're evaluating influences that will dictate church policy and theology and the traditions and the customs of the church. Because now more than ever, the Church of Rome is going to have that additional Greek perspective. And by additional, I mean quite hugely so. Like in Andrew J. Economou's Byzantine Rome and the Greek Popes, the demographics of the Roman clergy between 701 to 750 has Greeks outnumbering Latins by about three and a half to one. This is a massive, massive influx of Greek and Eastern-leaning individuals in Rome. And he goes on to outline several significant church events that we're going to cover as we go, where Greek clerics make up 60 to 100% of the attendance at these events that will shape church policy. How they feel about them lambs? <laughs> How they feel about them lambs! It's definitely one of those things that it's going to come up about. So this doesn't have a major impact per se for Sicinius's papacy, other than the fact that he and his family are part of this increased Greek presence. But we have a little bit of time to address it, and so I wanted to make sure that as we go through the next bit of church history that we're keeping that in mind. Back to Sicinius himself. We know almost nothing about him and his church career, aside from the fact that he was made a cardinal in 707 and had a reputation for being a strong character and an excellent cleric. As Deborah Booten McCoy puts it, he would have made a great pope. He had an outstanding, strong moral character and had pastoral sensibility caring for all. And this is why he is elected to be pope in December of 707. An easy choice. He is the perfect fit. Everyone is looking at him going, this guy is going to make a great pope. And he is consecrated on January 15th of 708. However, when Sicinius was elected, he also had an extreme case of gout. Oh. Yeah. What you eat in a beer and meat. <laughs> well, we're, we're actually going to talk about that a little bit because Sicinius's case of gout was so severe that he struggled with, like, basic self-care and couldn't feed himself. Oh, no! Directly from the Liber Pontificalis, This man was so crippled by a gouty humor that he could not take his food with his own hands. Yet he had a resolute mind and was concerned for the inhabitants of the city. Because gout is fairly prevalent in history, and we have already had some popes who have had it, like Pope Gregory, and we will see significantly more popes in the future who will also have gout, it might be worth explaining what it is and how it affects the body for anybody who just knows gout as gout and not the details. Gout is an inflammatory arthritis that attacks the joints caused by sustained high levels of uric acid in the blood. The uric acid crystallizes and deposits itself in the joints and the tendons, which cause repeated mass inflammation, which results in intense pain and visible redness and swelling of the joints, most commonly in the big toe, but also in the hands, feet, ankles, knees, elbows, wrists, and fingers, which would explain why Sicinius would have trouble feeding himself. 
In some rare cases, it can even affect the jaw, so it could have been even Ooh. more. Yeah. Could you imagine having gout in your jaw? That would have to, uh. Yeah. Genetics are a risk factor for gout, but more commonly known is, you know, what you said, associated with diet, especially heavy meat, seafood, or alcohol consumption. Having a beer and some meat. That one guy we knew got gout. And this is why throughout history it's coined like the disease of kings or the rich man's disease, considering that most of the dietary factors for gout were luxuries only available to the wealthy. Which is ironic. Considering he didn't give them enough money. Yeah, he's not from a wealthy family. Maybe he just liked, I don't know, bacon? <laughs> he might have liked bacon. He might have been, I mean, Rome is right on a port, right? Ostia's not that far away. Seafood is fairly common. There's, there's a lot of things that could be happening here, so. Gout itself isn't fatal, but if left untreated, the uric acid crystals can build up and clump into tophi, which are nodular masses and swellings. And they are at risk of then becoming infected, which can be life-threatening. And of course, it is also linked with several other conditions, like hypertension and diabetes and kidney disease and heart disease, which are all life-threatening. So just because gout won't kill you, it may be a comorbid factor, so... Well, I mean, and if you're getting gout, your diet's bad enough to grab from the buffet of things. <laughs> from the buffet of heart disease and kidney disease and diabetes and hypertension. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Let's bear this debilitating condition in mind when we talk about Sicinius, because poping is going to be very hard to do when you can't even feed yourself. So maybe he wasn't a great choice. I mean, he was a great choice in terms of his personality, but his physicality is betraying him a little bit. But this doesn't stop him from administering the papacy because he becomes Pope and he has one pressing concern that he thinks is super, super important and he absolutely has to deal with it. Doesn't matter how sick he is. And this is the state of the walls of Rome, specifically the Aurelian walls that protect the city. These main fortifications for protecting the city from attack and siege were in a horrendous state of deterioration and disrepair, and considering the incredible risks on the horizon, Sicinius came to the papacy feeling like this was a very, very dangerous oversight. <laughs> I gotta fix this. I gotta fix this. Somebody's gonna come and attack us soon. Although the peace had been relatively stable in our last papacy with the Lombards, they're still a fairly massive force throughout Italy, and they're constantly taking over territory held by the Byzantine Empire. And it was only a few years past since the Lombards under Giself had raided Campania and set up that army camp within sight of Rome. And if that wasn't enough, we have Justinian II back on the throne in Constantinople, and he could at any moment send the exarch from Ravenna to Rome to demand an explanation for Pope John VII sending back the canons of the Quinisex Council unsigned. With that other man. With that blinded man. Or to, you know, violently coerce a new signature since they didn't get one from Pope John. And so the Pope ordered the burning of lime to prepare to rebuild the walls of Rome. 
And if you are a true crime fan, you might be perking up at this point because burning lime does make quick lime, which is used to accelerate the decomposition of bodies. But it is also used to make cement, so that's what that's about. Unfortunately, the actual rebuilding of the walls was going to extend beyond his lifespan, so it's going to be Pope Gregory II who would recognize the necessity of Sicinius's order and undertake most of the actual applicable restoration of the walls in 725. Also administratively, Sicinius created a new bishop for Corsica. And then, after only 21 days, Pope Sicinius suddenly died. Uh, suddenly, he's broken and gouty. Yeah, so suddenly died, likely from complications associated with the debilitating gout. He was buried in the left nave at St. Peter's, and his tomb was destroyed in the demolition for New St. Peter's. Of course. So that is Sicinius. But I am going to leave you with a pontifact. Pontifact! Pope Sicinius's successor, Pope Constantine, was his brother. Oh. Or at least this is what is generally accepted to be true. And this is not the only time in history that a pope will be succeeded directly by his brother, because it's going to happen two more times in the history of the papacy. Stephen II will be succeeded by Paul I in 767, and Benedict VIII will be succeeded by John Nineteenth in 1032. Brothers succeeding brothers to the papal throne. A little weird, but okay. It is a little weird, and the fact that it happens more than once. I mean, we have had fathers and sons, but yeah, the brother thing. It's interesting. But that's Sicinius, and now we need to rate him. Papatum infallium. He created a cardinal. Cool. Um, It's not really worth any points. No points. No points. Fructus prohibitum. He wasn't pope long enough to even start a scandal. Zero points again. Zero points. Seculari impactum. He might actually get some points because he initiates the effort to restore the walls of Rome, which will be taken up and completed by Pope Gregory II. And those walls do do their part in order to protect Rome against future attacks. Important. He's only made the orders, right? A later pope is the one who's actually going to get it done. But he, before he died, would have had absolutely every intention of ensuring that it got done. So I feel like he should still get at least a little bit of credit for this one. I can give him, let's go with like a three. Okay. I'm going to give him just like a one because it's really good, but you've given him a good score. So I think if we balance out at a four, that's good. Fossium Sanctus. Here is what this man apparently looked like. He doesn't look gouty. He's got a big pouty bottom lip. He really does have... It's, it's a luscious Linus lip for sure. It's not bad. I don't mind it. He looks sad. He does. You know the gout will make you sad. <laughs> well, I mean, if I couldn't feed myself, I would probably be fairly sad about that as well. I am going to give him... A two. A two? Alright. I'm gonna give him a four, just because I think it's kind of middling of the road. It seems fine. So, when we score that out, he gets a 1.5. I've got two more to show you. So, this one's... It's our bad artist. There are some 
some differing things about it. One, it's so blurry. <laughs> oh, his eyes are falling out. He's got like the weirdest. It to me, it feels like it was rushed because they didn't have time to finish it before he died. He's like getting up in the middle of his seating for the image. He's like, no, I gotta go. Like, I have to go rebuild the walls of Rome before I die. This does look like another Colin Mockery. It kind of, but it's not, it's not our standard side profile. It's, he's kind of head on. He's got his hand in a very strange sort of over his chest. There's a weird fold in his robe that kind of looks like a boob to the one side. It's just a strange one, but clearly that one also inspired this later one, which I'm going to send you now because it's, oh. yeah. Why is the eyes still totally messed up? It's fallen out. It's like they took the first one and they tried to make it really high def and in the process they aged him about 60 years. All right, I'm glad we didn't vote on those. <laughs> right? They're not very flattering. Tempus Pontificus. January 15th of 708 to February 4th of 708, which is three weeks. And he is now officially the shortest pope that we have covered. Overall, he has the fifth shortest papacy in history. Wow. Our previous shortest pope, who was Antares, doesn't even crack the top ten with his 40 days. Just like our previous shortest pope, Antares, we've rounded time to the nearest quarter year. So having a quarter year is the lowest we can score in this round, and he will get a score of 0.0625. All right, everybody, it's the canon bonus round! Do, 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 do. No. <laughs> oh. No. He didn't have much time. It's fair. Which brings us to his total score, which is a 5.5625. Is that our lowest? No, it's not our lowest. I can see uh, that our our one pope who have scored lower than him was Pope Eugene. Haunted by the ghost of Pope Eugene. I'm just waiting to see if he if he comes out to make a protest about him, us saying he was a lower score. And then lower than Pope Eugene, we have Pope Sabinian, which feels very appropriate. He's definitely not in last place. He's currently sitting at 85th place out of 89. But it's kind of unfortunate for him because I also went, before we record sometimes, I put in the scores for like how long they, I, I put in Tempus Pontificus early in there so I don't have to calculate it out while we're doing the, or if they're a saint, they'll get a point. So there are people very close below him who already have a higher score than him, and we haven't even done their episode yet. So that's unfortunate. That brings me to a question I may not need to ask, but I will ask you anyways. Do you think he is papally enough and pizzazzy enough with an impact enough for a papal bull? I think he maybe just died too soon. He did die too soon. And I think that's what Deborah Booten McCoy was getting at when she said he would have been a good pope, because he probably would have if he had had more time. Unfortunately, Sicinius, you are not going to get a papal bull, but we'll see how your brother does next time. But before we do that, we have a couple thank yous to make. So first, to our patrons who need to be absolved of their temporal punishments. We need to thank 
Beluga, Meg Pets, and Stuart Hall. Ego te absolvo. I'd also like to thank Totalis Rankium and Rex Factor for being our constant supports. And um, thank them also because we've got some exciting things in the works for the future. So, huzzah. Hip hip huzzah. Hip hips huzzahs. <laughs> All of the hips and the huzzahs. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach us at pontifexpod at gmail.com. And we're pontifexpod on all social media platforms. If you'd like to support the show, consider subscribing to Pontifex on Patreon. Checking out our research wishlist at tinyurl.com slash pontifexwishlist. Or making a one-time donation at paypal.me slash pontifexpodcast. If you'd like to support us in other ways, rating and reviewing the show on iTunes makes a world of difference. And with that, we can say thank you for listening. And goodbye. Bye.